As men, we are called to lead. Lead ourselves, lead our businesses, and most importantly, lead our families. Now, doing so in a positive, uplifting manner in which your wife and kids are nurtured, inspired, and driven to become all that God created them to be, now that is no small task. John Gordon is today's guest, and he's going to tell us exactly how to do this. Welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. If you want more influence with your kids, connection with your wife, and purpose in your life, then you are in the right place. We share conversations with the world's greatest, as well as lessons from the Bible and my own personal experiences. I'm Brendan Wall, and I'm your host. I am married with four kids. I am not the guy with all the answers, but I am in search of them. I want to personally thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you. All right, fellas, welcome back to the show. Today, we have a very, very special episode. Today, we have with us the one and only, the legendary John Gordon. John Gordon is a husband, father, and 15-time best-selling author. 15 bestsellers. His best-selling books and talks have inspired millions of readers and audiences around the world. He's the author of timeless classics such as The Energy Bus, The Carpenter, Training Camp, The Power of Positive Leadership, The Power of a Positive Team, and his latest, The One Truth. When he's not running through airports or speaking to businesses, hospitals, or schools, you can find him playing pickleball or taking long walks, which are where he gets most of his best ideas. Now, John believes in keeping his bio short because to him, his past accomplishments are meaningless. What matters most is that he says something today that will inspire you to take action tomorrow. He certainly inspired me today, and I know that this will inspire you as well. So here's my conversation with the John Gordon. All right, guys, it is not every day that you get the opportunity to chat with somebody who is, who's widely regarded as the best in the world at what they do. Not just self-proclaimed, anybody can proclaim to be the best at what they do, but not many people are truly widely regarded and respected as the top of the class, top of their field. We have today with us the leader in positive leadership. He is that guy in the world of positive leadership, personal development. And today he is our guest here on the show, the one and only John Gordon. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brendan, thanks for that kind introduction. And I'm glad it's not uh, self-proclaimed. That would not be a good thing. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, uh, abs absolutely. You know, I was telling you before we hopped on, you were one of the, the first few people that I reached out to when I started the show. It's been almost two years now, which is crazy to think how much time has gone by and how quickly it's gone by. So I remember reaching out to, to Marlo and she got right back to me. And, you know, she was like, yeah, John, John would love to do it. This sounds like a, a great mission, kind of aligns with his values, could be a good fit. The one filter that we have is, you know, we try to get every get on shows that have, you know, at least 100 episodes, right? Prove a little credibility. And she's like, do you have 100 episodes? And I was like, oh, almost. I've, I've got six. I had six episodes <laughs> recorded and out the door when I first reached out to you. And she was like, you know what? Reach back when you get to 100 and uh, and we'll make it happen. So fast forward two-ish years, I reached back out. We crossed that milestone and and here we are today. So this has been a long time coming for me. You're meeting me for the first time, but um, like I said, just very excited to have the opportunity to have you on here. That's really cool. I love the grit and the determination and the perseverance. That's <laughs> awesome. And the truth is that was me too. When I first started, same thing. It was a lot of grit, a lot of determination, a lot of perseverance. So so it, it's cool. And, yet, and the reason why we do that is because if you had just six episodes, you know who'd listen to our conversation about <laughs> 10 mom. people. 
yeah, maybe my be, wife. <laughs> it'd be me and you doing this yeah. and 10 people listening. So right. it really makes sense to maximize the reach and the impact when people have a lot of episodes. So that yeah. helps. And I, I I would hope that I've improved a bit as as a host in that time. And I'm I'm very fortunate, very glad that I'm having the opportunity now as opposed to two years ago, because I mean, I was joking around that I'm that I'm still a rookie before we hopped on. But I, I at least I, I, I have to have improved a little bit in the last two years. Totally. Definitely. Um, all right. So you are like world-class expert, positive leadership, personal development. This is a podcast for dads, for husbands. So I think that begs the obvious question. And this is where I want to start wading into our conversation here is why is leadership such an important skill for husbands, for dads, for leaders of families to, to work on, to focus on, to prioritize? You know, I'm so glad you're saying that because, you know, I talk to a lot of companies and organizations. I work with a lot of the the best sports teams on the planet, the best companies, a lot of the great coaches, great athletes. And yet I believe my my most popular talk these days, what seems to be resonating the most is when I talk about positive leadership at work and home. I've been doing more and more talks recently where I'm speaking to leaders mm-hmm. and I'm talking about being a great leader for your team, yep. for your organization, but then I apply it also to home. And they really resonate with that. You know, when the energy bus came out years ago, the energy bus was about a guy struggling at work and home. Mm-hmm. And so George had to go on this journey to be a better father, a better husband, and a better leader at work. At first, publishers didn't get it because no one ever talked about work and home. It was one or the other. It was either personal development or it was career development. It wasn't both. And now we're seeing a blending of the two. It's like the world finally caught up to me, which is which I'm really <laughs> thankful for. But it, it like finally has, because I always saw it like you can't be a great leader at work if you're not a great leader at home. And even if you have success at work, if you're a failure at home, I truly believe you are a failure. If the people who will be crying at your funeral don't like you, or maybe they won't be crying because they don't like you, that's a sign that you're not leading the right way. And it was my own journey of having to be a more positive leader at home, that actually caused me to realize the importance of that because I was striving for success when I was younger. I was trying to build my empire and really get my validation from succeeding and making money and providing for my family. And yet, when I lost my job during the dot com crash, everything everything crumbled during that during that time. And I realized that the most important thing I could do was actually to be a better father, a better husband. And as I was doing that as I worked on being a better man and a better husband, a better father at home that led to me being successful in this world. And so that's why it's so important in terms of positive leadership at work and home because your family needs you. They need your leadership and the impact you have on them will be the greatest legacy you ever leave. Yes. It's important to leave a legacy. Like I feel like writing books is important. I feel like when I speak to audiences, making a difference in their lives is important, but when I think of the end in mind, I think of the fact that I might not be here, I might have passed on, and someone will meet my kids, and they'll say, you know, I heard your dad talk, or I read his book, and 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 he changed my life. And my kids will actually feel good about that. They won't be jealous, they'll feel good knowing because they knew they were loved. They knew I invested in them. They knew I cared about them, and I didn't sacrifice them for everyone else. They were the most important people to me. What was really cool about that recently, Brendan, was that I had my 50th birthday party 
and we had it in LA. And I'm actually 52, but we had my 50th party because we couldn't have it during COVID. And so my friends who were putting it together in LA were waiting. And then when I turned 52, they finally were able to get everyone together to do it. That's some good so Sean McVay, Yeah, Sean McVeigh is there. Jay Glazer's there. Jim Rome is there. Steve Weatherford is there. Erwin McManus. You know, all these just great friends and great people. David Nurse put it together, got a lot of people organized to come. And, and it was just, a, it was an epic time. And my daughter was there. And so my daughter then, you know, everyone was getting up and speaking. So it was almost like a eulogy while you're alive. So it was a really special time. And when my <laughs> wow. friends say to this day, they said it was one of the most powerful moments they've ever had in their lives because they saw my daughter speak and she talked about how instrumental I was in her life and how I was the best person in her life, the most favorite person in her life. She said, I'm sorry, mom, but dad's my favorite, which is hilarious. My <laughs> wife was there, but she said that and people like, wow, I can't believe like I just experienced this and that I would want my kids to say that about me when they're older. And I got to tell you, it wasn't the case early on. I was failing miserably as a dad. I was not there for my kids. I was a horrible husband. I was negative and beaten down by fear, stress, and worry and concern and so focused on success and then being upset that I wasn't realizing my potential and wasn't realizing my dreams. So I had it all backwards. So I'm someone who made the transition. I made the, the transformation. I changed. And so that's why I do what I do. Like what I had to go through, how I had to change to be a positive leader from a negative leader is now what I talk about from my real life examples and then now live it. And now, thankfully, I could be a model for others because as these friends said, it was like a powerful moment for them of how they wanted to live their lives, you know, going forward and, and mm -hmm. a special time. And it was one of, yeah, one of the most special nights of my life, no doubt, you know, to be alive and to experience that. I was like, am I going to die soon that this happened like this? <laughs> but I, I'm like, I hope not. But but if I did, at least I would have known I made a difference in my in my kid's life. And my wife and I have learned so much about being parent, parents. And when I give advice to people, as we're going to talk about, I'm sure, as we, as we delve into this conversation more, I do so not from a place of perfection, of from doing all the things right. I actually share a lot of times with parents, this is what I did wrong. Here's how I messed <laughs> up. And I want you to avoid those same challenges and same situations and same mistakes because hopefully you don't have to make them. I made mm -hmm. them. Hopefully you don't have to. Okay. That's what a strong start. I feel like we could put a bow on the episode right there. I mean, that's, that's incredible. So I want to, I want to frame this out. If we took one end of or the beginning of the book as a parent, let's just say that for you, uh, you said you were not the best parent in the world. You had some improvement. You kind of had life priorities, potentially upside down. Fast forward to where we are now celebrating your 50th birthday at age 52, a little bit good anticipation for the party. And your daughter is up there speaking about how you were so instrumental in her life. And not only is she telling you that, she's telling you that in front of your friends, your peers, other people that you, you know, you look up to and respect and have helped, I'm sure, along the way. I'm I'm sure that's why they're they're all there being there to support you. So let's take, you know, the the beginning of the book and the end of the book. I want to peel back into where you made the change and how you made the change. So for the guy who's listening, he's like, okay, I'm going the wrong way. I want to experience that at my 50, you know, when I'm 50, 52, how can I get there? So can you, can you give us some concrete examples, something that a guy could take with them today to be a better husband, be a better father, be more in the game so they can get to that point? Yeah, I think this is key. And this is what I talk about a lot in the positive leadership at work and home. And it started with my wife threatening to leave me. 
And she said, if you don't change, we're over. It was that bad. I'm 31 years old, just lost my job during that crash. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to support my family? She gives me that ultimatum because, again, I'm being a jerk towards her. I'm being really negative. And I said, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to figure out a way to be more positive. I'm going to work on being a better version of myself. I asked what I was born to do. Why am I here? And writing and speaking came to me. So I knew I was going to start that. But I didn't have like the money just to say I'm going to write and speak and I could just live off of you know some trust fund. Came from a very blue collar family. So I second mortgaged our home, $20,000 in credit cards and opened up a Moe's Southwest Grill franchise, a burrito place with the goal of hopefully making enough money. So that's a whole other story in itself. That's a great entrepreneurial story about what happened. But basically, let's just say through a lot of adversity, a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges, my wife supported me along the way. I was able to get that place going. While I'm doing that, I'm taking walks of gratitude every day. And so while I'm walking, I am saying what I'm thankful for because the research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So if you feel ungrateful, you won't feel stressed. That began the change in me. Again, you got to do the inner work to impact the people in your outer world. It starts with you. Who you are determines how you lead. So every day I'm feeding myself because if you don't have it, you can't share it. So you get to feed yourself with optimism, with positivity, with belief. And now I'm doing that on a daily basis with this gratitude walk. And I'm talking to myself instead of listening to myself. So I'm starting with mm. self-talk as I'm taking these walks. I'm feeding myself every day. And I, I write about this in The Power of Positive Leadership as well in the book. I highly recommend it if you want to be a more positive leader at work or home. The principles will apply to both. So I'm, I'm doing that on a daily basis. I start a success journal. At night, I'm writing down my success of the day. I still recommend that to this day. It's a great tool. Every challenge I have, I'm now looking for the opportunity. So I'm not beating myself up with the challenge. I'm saying, okay, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? How can I get better because of this? So my wife is now noticing a difference in me. And then I start being there a little bit more for my family. Now I'm taking the time to be more present with them really being present and, and listening to them and spending more time with them and not just rushing off all the time. Because in many ways, I was always working and was never home. So now I'm spending time. And it doesn't have to be like a lot of time, but it has to be quality time. Because at that point, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spending more time. I'm being there as a dad. We start, you know, we take trips. We would take the kids on trips with us and we would spend time together. I think I was doing more than even my parents did with me, but at least I was now making an investment in them. And then as we would move along and as the kids got older, I started doing a family meeting. Like this was the most important thing I've ever done was a family meeting. We would sit around the table and some people talk about this at dinner and call it dinner. But you know, for us, the kids were really busy with athletics and we we're always running around. So once a week, we made time to sit down as a family. It was usually on a Sunday. And I would read something important. I would read a devotional. I would read something encouraging. Or I would share a video that I found that I thought they would enjoy and that would teach a lesson. We'd watch the short video or I'd read the devotional or lesson. And then we would discuss it. We talked about our one word for the year because everybody had a word in our family that we picked a word that would give you meaning and mission. And so each kid would talk about how they're living the word, how it's going. We talked about our challenges, what we we're going through. And then we came up with solutions, you know, for each other. And so we learned so much about our kids 
during that time that we would not have learned any other way without doing that. And there were so many times that my wife was like, no, let's just not do it this week. And my kids were like, no, we don't want to sit at the table now. <laughs> like they were literally not wanting to do it. I'm like, no, we're sitting down. Here's the key. You've got to focus on your culture. You focus on a culture at work. You got to have a culture at home. Your culture is the living, breathing essence of what an organization or family values, believes, thinks, says, and does. What are we doing every day? And culture is not static, it's dynamic. So every day you're creating your culture by what you value, think, believe, say, and do. So we've got to create our family culture. And that's what I was doing. And you got to protect your culture. You got to fight for your culture because if you don't, the world from the outside will destroy your culture. It's coming at you. And you mm -hmm. have to be so strong on the inside that you withstand all the forces on the outside. This is what I tell leaders of companies and sports teams. It's the same thing at home. You know, if you allow the competition to affect you or the media to affect you, it will. You got to focus on you and your culture and know you create from the inside out. So I did that. I tell you that because it's going to be hard. As a dad, you might say, let's meet. And then the family says, no, no, no. And then it's easy to say, okay, fine, forget it. And I have friends who have tried it and that's what happened. And for me, it was like, no, no, we are getting together. It's not an option. And we sat there and we did it week after week. Asking my kids their success of the day was one of the most important things I did as a dad going to bed at night and before bed, just sitting there with them and asking their success of the day. That was That was very helpful as well. And then years later, I would ask my daughter, did I travel too much? Because, you know, in 2007, I started to speak more as the energy bus came out. And so in 2007, my kids would be seven and nine at that time, seven and nine. And so now I'm starting to speak more and more. But my daughter said something. She said, Dad, I don't remember you gone. I remember you being home. Because when I was home, I was really present and You're I was home. engaged with them. I was home. Yeah. And I think that's essential. Like we, we underestimate the importance of that. Go to work. Great. When you come home, engage at home, spend mm -hmm. time at home. And when you do that, you're going to feel so great about you and your family from being at home in that way that when you get to work, you're not going to have guilt. There's going to be no separation between who you are and what you do. My book, The One Truth, that just came out, that's all about oneness and separateness. When you're not great at home and there's no integrity at home and you're not spending time developing a relationship of connection and commitment at home, then you feel very separate and divided. Then you feel weak. Well, then you go to work, the separation's still there. And so you still never feel as powerful as you can be. So when you're engaged at home, now you get to work and now you feel really great about being at work. Then you're engaged at work. Mm -hmm. And you give everything you got to work. You're not guilty. Then you get home and guess what? Now you bring everything at home. And so now you have a double dose of energy and positivity instead of misery and guilt and despair <laughs> like so many people feel today. So those are the, I mean, I did so many other things, but those were some of the, the few things I did. And there's one other key here that I got to share because it really goes to what you're saying. There was a time where I got really busy speaking on the road, like so busy that I was gone a lot. And my career took off. My books are now, you know, some of them are bestsellers. The Energy Bus probably sold a million copies at that point. It's probably over three now, but about a million at that point. So now I'm now I'm speaking more, doing this work. I'm really busy. And my wife calls me. And I think the kids were about 15 and 13 at the time. And she's like, you got to come home. You got to stop spending so much time on the road. You're speaking all the time. Jade's struggling with math. You know, Cole's really struggling with his tennis and his confidence. 
I can't deal with it all. I mean, I got to bring Cole across town for tennis. We got tournaments on the weekend. Then Jade on Monday, I got to get her for, because of her food because she has all these gluten allergies and my both kids had gluten allergies. So that was a stressor. She's like, I just can't do it all. And I said, all right, fine. I said, uh, I'll come home and do your job, <laughs> which was not the thing I should have said. <laughs> so that's not being dad the man, right? That's being dad the loser. <laughs> I was not being a great husband at that point. I literally said it because I was frustrated. I said, I'm living my dream now. This is everything I've worked for. This is what I'm here to do. It was almost like years later as being tested once again. Will you focus on the fruit of the tree? The outcome? the money, the success, the fame, you're going to focus on the root, what really matters. Focus on the fruit, ignore the root, the tree dies. Focus on the root, you get a great supply of fruit. And so my wife said, when I, when I said, I'll come home and do your job, she said, fine, yeah, come home and do my job with tears in her eyes. I need help. And I said, fine, I will. And so basically stop taking a lot of engagements only did two or three a month for an entire year. I was gone like 10 to 12 engagements or 15 engagements a month. So wow. I was gone almost the entire month. Now I'm only gone, you know, two, three times. So maybe four or five days for the month. So now I'm home like pretty much all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm having to now really engage with the family. And I tell the story often these days because, you know, it really was a great learning process for me because I got to admit, they were messed up, my family. And I wanted a different team. I wanted, <laughs> I told my wife, I want a different team. And, and then when I realized at the end, at the end of the year, as I served, as I focused on investing in them, as I engaged with them, as I was there all the time, I got to really be there for them and support them and encourage them and learn about their challenges and help them through it. And through that all, you know, what I realized was I didn't need a different team. I needed to become a better leader. As I put my family first, they grew, they improved, but most importantly, I improved. I grew. That's when I grew the most. I really became a servant leader that year and really focused on investing in them. My word was served for the year. I was doing laundry. I was helping out around the house, taking my daughter to school. I was bringing her food before her lacrosse games. I was now taking my son to his tennis games. I was being a dad, but yeah. for me, again, I was on the road so much that I was not engaged in any of that. Now I'm having to be a dad and in investing. Mm -hmm. And that was really a great year. That's That was a bond that was developed that year that, that still exists to this day. And you know what happened, Brendan, after that? Every book I've written since has been a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Every How about single that? book since. It was a test. You focus right? on the root. Put the root first. Focus on your family first. Make them a priority. So doing all those little things made a difference. So I wrote a book, The Carpenter, shortly after that, which is about mm -hmm. serving leadership. And it's the greatest success principles of all. And the three words that I lived, and I think this is key for any dad, love, serve, care. Love them. Serve them. Serve their heart. Serve their talent. Coach them. Guide them. Mentor them. And then show them you care about them, that you're there for them, that you spend time with them, and it's quality time. Mm -hmm. Those three words, I think, have been key. Love, serve, care. And my kids can say a lot of things about me. I was not perfect. There were times I was, believe it or not, a hothead growing up in a Jewish-Italian family with a New York City police officer as a dad. I've had to overcome that. But but along the way, I got better. I improved. And they know that I loved them. They know I served them. And they know that I showed I cared about them. And I think that's why my daughter said those things about them. Those were the key words that were basically indicative of 
of being a great parent at home. Gosh, I appreciate your transparency so much. And, and for anybody listening, I, I hope regardless of where you are in, in your circumstances, maybe you're in a position where you're maybe sitting there like, gosh, I wish I had a different team. Doesn't matter where you are. What I hope that you see is that if you start with yourself, you can your way out of it, focus on the route and you can get there. Um, gosh, that's so powerful. It, when I think about the person who is hearing this and they're in that position and they are going to take that step, you, you made you made one comment about it and I want to peel it back just a bit. You made the comment about your wife started noticing your changes. And I'm thinking about if you're a guy who's set this track record for however however long, maybe you've, maybe you've had a skid for a couple months, maybe you've had a skid for a couple of years, whatever that may look like, that's what your wife is going to expect to likely continue. So a change in for a, even a positive change, it's made just maybe just a blip on the radar based on your track record, right? So you, I feel like you almost have to go through that phase of earning her trust back, earning your kids trust back. What did that timeline look like for you? And do you have any advice specifically for that guy who, you know, the, the Bible commands us to, to lead our families, right? How can we be better leaders so that it's easier for our families to maybe submit to our leadership? Consistency creates culture and consistency is key to your character. And so every day you got to show up and do the work and be consistent. When you're consistent, they can trust you. They know what to expect from you. So you got to build that consistency and show that consistency over time. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen overnight. And I think so often like, a guy will make some changes and be like, well, I'm not getting recognition. No one's noticing. No one's seeing it, but I'm doing all this work. You don't do it for the applause. You do it for the cause. And you have to be a selfless leader to be a great leader. You really do. So my motto became that year that I served at home became the more I love my wife, the more I love my life. Not happy wife, happy life. The more I love my wife, the more I love my life. It's about what I do for her, not what she does for me. I was really going to focus on serving and maybe I wasn't going to get what I wanted back, but I was just going to do the work and serve. And what happened was I didn't get it back right away, but I kept doing it. I didn't stop doing it. I just kept doing it. I was persistent in it. My wife and I wrote a book, Relationship Grit. It's about our ups and downs. It's our struggles. It's raw. It's real. It's not about how great we were. It's about our mistakes along the way, but it's our journey. And people have really really been impacted by it. And it saved a bunch of marriages already, which is really cool. Couples that were going to get divorced. Because so often we're not competing together. We're competing against each other. We're fighting against each other. We're not competing for each other. We're not working together as one team. We're two separate teams. And you've got to be one team. So I had to be the uniter. I had to be the positive leader. Positive leaders rally. They unite. You got to have the shared vision and mission. My wife and I, we did have a shared vision and mission. It was to raise these kids. It was to be great parents. It was to be great people. It was to create a great future together, whatever that looked like. So we had, we had a shared vision and mission. It was about working together along the way. That's essential. But from a timeline perspective, I think it's just been an ongoing journey. Like she noticed I was making a difference early on. She saw the impact. She saw me change. And then she was like, okay, let's see if it continues. And then it continued. Then it continued. But going back fast forward to the year that I was now serving at home in a big way when my kids are now 15 and, and 13, now I'm really serving and my son is seeing me do the laundry. He goes to the chiropractor because he's a tennis player, competitive. And this was one event I was away for. It was, it was the World Leaders Conference. And the chiropractor said, so where's John? And my wife said, oh, he's at the World Leaders Conference speaking with all these famous people. 
And the chiropractor said, well, well, John's kind of famous. And my son said, not in our house. He does the laundry. And I thought that <laughs> I was such that. <laughs> a great testament. Like, And I remember saying, I don't want to be a household name. I want to be a big name in my household. That was more important to me. And the fact that he said that was really cool, was really cool that he said that. And so just doing the laundry and serving, he noticed again, a whole year he saw it. Then he goes to IMG to play tennis. And then it was just me, my wife and daughter. So it was a little easier. Now I could travel more. And my daughter was 16, you know, so a little easier along the way, but I still had to make sure that I was consistently doing those things. And that's what I tell people. When you pick a word for the year, my word was serve. It helps you be consistent. Mm-hmm. Like you focus on that word. You focus on living those principles. And again, over time, they they see it. But you got to be selfless. But we also have to acknowledge that we're not naturally selfless. We are naturally self-focused. And I always tell people, like, if you want to know how self-focused we are, the next time you take a picture with a group of friends, who do you look at first? Right. You always, you always look at yourself first. So like when I take the family picture, if I look good and my wife doesn't, she's like, this is a horrible picture. If I look, if, she, if I look horrible and she looks great, it becomes the family picture it happens all the time. I serve and sacrifice <laughs> for the family picture, but that's just that a, it's an analogy of what we have to do. It's a representation of what we have to do at home. Like men, we have to serve. We have to give, we have to build up. We have to coach. And it's going to require for you to be selfless. And you're not going to get the applause along the way. It's not like my son was saying, hey, dad, you're being a great leader. Dad, you know, I noticed when you took my 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 PS3 away, I thought he's holding firm to the culture and the values and the standards of our family. Like my dad has really improved. He's not saying that, right? He's all pissed <laughs> off that I took his game away. Yeah. Only years later do they recognize the value of what you brought and the consistency and the character and the standard that you set. Only years later, now my kids are 25 and 23. My daughter is now speaking. So my no daughter way. literally is doing the, yeah, speaking all over the country now, having a huge impact. Only been doing about a year and a half and crushing it. She's a natural. She's great. And she's doing it. And it's it's wild to see because I never thought she would do it. But I look back I, I with tears in my eyes at times. I think if I was still that negative leader, she would have never wanted to do this work because I changed She's now doing this work and now she's impacting others along the way. Being positive doesn't just make you better. It makes everyone around you better. And so, so I I truly believe like, and I only keep sharing that. I've got my story because I'm the perfect representation of going from negative to positive. Even when she was playing lacrosse early on, I was the dad that was driving. I was pushing, man. I made a lot of mistakes. I pushed too hard. I drove too hard. I was too critical and not, encouraging enough. I talk about now love and accountability in my positive leadership model. I had too much accountability, not enough love at all. And so she was tuning me out and I was burning her out and she quit. She quit because of me. And so she literally quit. So then I've got to change. So again, again, even though I'm doing this work, I'm getting better. I got better myself. Now I'm still... I'm more positive myself, but I'm still not acting like a positive leader trader instead of a transactional leader. I have to learn how to encourage more and support more. And I tell this whole story in the positive leadership book about how I literally then start to encourage her and support her. She decides to play again. And now all throughout her high school career, all I'm doing is encouraging and supporting. And I saw her grow so much. 
I kept saying she was unstoppable, Jade. You are unstoppable. You are unstoppable. She was very stoppable, but I kept saying she was unstoppable. And eventually by the junior year, she became unstoppable and scored 80 goals and had an amazing thing. Amazing, wow. amazing year that year. So, but it was, it was, a, it was like miraculous because she was so hesitant, so fearful, never wanted to upset the coach. Coach would yell at her. She made a mistake, but I kept supporting and I kept encouraging. Again, I go back to, she would never want to be a speaker now if I was the dad that was critical, not encouraging. So when she decided to speak and she'd be like, oh, that speech didn't go well. I said, Jade, you are unstoppable. And you are impactful. And that's what I kept saying to her. You're unstoppable and impactful. And that's what I say now. So again, I was the guy that was too critical. One advice I love. This is from Trent Dilfer, you know, mm -hmm. former quarterback of the Buccaneers and ESPN. He's now the head coach of UAB. Just an amazing human being. He was raising daughters. And his key was, he said, I had two hats, dad hat and coach hat. After games or performances, he would say, what hat do you want? And they would get to choose. Dad hat. Dad hat was just always encouraging and supportive. supportive. And, and coach hat was giving advice. And a lot of times they did not want coach hat. He goes, if they don't want coach hat, I don't say anything about that. When we get home, they go, hey, dad, put your coach hat on. I, I want some advice. Then he would give advice. But yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't unsolicited. They had to ask. They had to tell him and direct him. You have to ask permission. Hey, can I share something with you? And never after a game. I did this after a game. So I messed up big time, big time. I ruined it. I was like failed miserably. So I learned, I learned from this. And so now I want to help others learn. Put the two hats on and just keep your mouth shut and don't say anything unless it's supportive or encouraging. Don't talk about the game. Later on, if they want to talk about it with you, great. If you need an outside voice, bring in a coach, bring in a, someone to play that role. But that should not be your role unless they want coach hat to speak. And then you can give advice. I'm so glad that you you brought this up. And, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. So I've got one other question that I'm going to ask before I kick you out of here. But I have to touch on it. I, my son is six and he's done competitive baseball, all stars, the whole, the whole thing for the first time. It's like they're they're keeping score. Kids are getting out. Yeah. They're getting yelled at by coaches. And it's, it's, that's a little bit different. Right. And it's hilarious because they're six. So like, you know, they have walk-up songs right. and like one kid's song is the, the SpongeBob theme song. And then he's getting, you know, chewed out when he's, you know, not running as hard as he can to first base. So it's just a hilarious dynamic all around. But one of the things that I've, I've noticed is every time a kid makes a play good or bad, the first place they look is their parents. They look in the stands yeah. and they want to see what does mom or dad have to say? Yeah. And I think depending on the kids, sometimes that's, you know, maybe they're looking for a little affirmation. Maybe they're scared that they're like, oh gosh, how, how mad is mom going to be that I dropped the ball? And I think about that for those kids in the games. That's something I've tried to be hypercritical of with myself to really just wear the dad hat and just clap. And when, if my son fails, I clap. If he does great, I clap. And I stole that from you. You've said that somewhere along the way, and I can't remember where you said it, but cheering for them in their success and their failure and not trying to just micromanage over critique over coach in the moment. Like I'm not, even if I'm an assistant coach on the team, there are moments in the game. Like I kind of have to flip back and forth a little bit, but really just leaning into like, let's lean towards dad more often than coach. Oh yeah. We, you know, we're in Santa Monica right now and we were walking past the tennis courts that 
our son actually would go take some lessons at when we were here. And I remember we're out here for the summer and I'm finding him a coach to give him some lessons and to hit. And while he's doing the lesson, like we're watching this lesson, making sure like he was hitting well and how to go. Did he go well? Did he hit well? And I'm thinking, I look back on that. Like how stupid was that? Like we acted like it was the biggest thing in the world. It was not the biggest thing in the world. We should have been like, Hey, go hit, go have fun. Yeah. Did you have a great time out there? Awesome. There's a great cartoon that's that shows a dad yelling at the kid in the batter's box, baseball, yeah. and it says, "Hey, dad, you're yelling at a future software developer. <laughs> He's not going to make it in the major leagues." So it's about him becoming a better human being. But for all you coaches out there and dads who coach, remember this: what we focus on shows up more in their lives. The more we praise and reinforce, that actually shows up. So when you focus on what people are doing right, they'll do more things right. Mm -hmm. So if that kid is not running hard to first base, do not yell at the kid for not running hard to first base. What you want to say to that kid is, hey, let's see how fast you can run down to that first base. I think you are probably one of the fastest kids on the team if you run really hard. I want to see what you can do. Let me see next time you run to first how fast you are. Not, Mm -hmm. let me see... You're not running hard. Come on, let's go. I mean, I had I, I saw a group of kids practicing football and this coach yelling, don't cheat me, don't cheat me, don't cheat me, when these kids were doing the drill. And I'm like, like, dude, like you think you're in the NFL or in college and these kids are eight years old and this is what you're saying and you're living vicariously through mm-hmm. them thinking you're Bill Belichick. You're not. So I, you know, any of the pro athletes who I know, the great ones, I know so many of the great guys, they literally, their kids, they let them develop themselves with their coaching and they don't push too hard because they know what it's like. And they know if the kid has it, if the kid has it within them, that kid's going to become it. Right. And I think too often with parents, we feel like we have to draw it out of them, you know, but, mm-hmm. but my father's <clears throat> prayer, and I wrote this on father's day and I share it on father's day every year is I don't want my kids to become what I want them to be. I want them to become everything God created them to be. Mm-hmm. And my job is to to support them, encourage them, and 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 yeah, sometimes challenge them. Like sometimes we do have to challenge them, but call them up to greatness. Don't mm-hmm. call them out. Talk about the potential you see in them and how great they can be and what you ultimately know they can be if they want to work for it. But you first have to help identify what it is they truly want and work for it. And they have to want it. You can't mm-hmm. want it for them. They have to truly want it. And so- being that dad that was a driver and a pusher and wanted my kids to, you know, play in college and they're going to play in college because I played lacrosse in college and I was a D1 athlete. So my kids are going to do it. And that's all about getting my identity through recognition and performance. And for years I did it for myself. Now I, I was doing it for my kids. Mm-hmm. And that's the key that changed. No, it's not about my identity being a great parent because my kids are doing well in sports. It was about loving them, supporting them, encouraging them and help them become all that they're meant to be and figuring out along the way. Yeah. And I think that's the case. And, and I always, but I always wondered like, what happens if I don't push them? And years later, they're going to say, I wish you would have pushed me. Yeah. Right. What happens if, yeah. you know, because I've heard stories of that. And I mm-hmm. think there's a fine line there where you got to, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you need, again, you need a challenge, but they have to feel so much more of your love first yep. before you challenge them. Mm-hmm. And then, you got to ask them, like, what do you really want? And do you want to play in college? Do you want to do this? Not for me. Is this something you really want to do? Yeah. And if you, if you do great, I'll help you get there. You know, and sometimes 
that means I might have to challenge you. Is that okay? Do I have your permission to do that? Yes. Or they may say no. But now you're having a healthy conversation about it. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about what they want, not from what I want, but what do you really want? And my daughter and I had those conversations. And ultimately she's like, dad, I don't want to play in college. I want to go to yeah. Clemson and I want to be a student. And I just want to enjoy my life as a college student. I've done the whole lacrosse thing. I don't really love it. I love the teamwork aspect, but not really love the game. And I was like, oh, okay, well, all right. Well, then you're going to go to Clemson and that's what you'll do. And that became that that journey of, of knowing that's what she wanted. That became the outcome. But it was a conversation, a healthy conversation along the way. I would ask my son, do you want to play tennis in college? You know, because again, if you don't, that's totally okay. You don't have to. And don't think you have to because of me. So I think the earlier you can have those conversations when you see the kid pursuing something because nowadays it's like you got to be a full-time club <laughs> club player like right now in baseball they're like all right we got summer leagues you're six years old but we got summer league we got all-stars we got the regular season all right forget basketball now you got to focus on baseball we started in february ended last weekend and spring balls or uh, sorry fall ball starts in like three weeks yeah i'm a big fan of playing multiple sports as yeah. is david pollock and a lot of mm -hmm. other dan orlowski a lot of my friends they're they're big on that like Playing multiple sports, I still think is key. Yep. And getting the kids to enjoy the sports mm -hmm. is key. And again, it's their journey. It's their life, not yours. Yeah. And a good friend of mine, Billy, Billy says that God doesn't have grandkids. I love that statement. God doesn't have grandkids. We often think there's God mm -hmm. and then we're the parent and there's our kids. So yeah. we've got to like play <laughs> God in between or petition God. No, God yeah. has a plan for them and they have their own relationship and will have their own relationship with their creator as it should be. So your job is to support them as they and God are working together on their future and life. That Stop is trying so, to that be is so God good. yourself. That is yeah, we have so, so much good. fear. We have so much fear. They're not going to amount to anything. And I had that fear. So your fear drives you because you don't trust God. You try to be God. And so you, you try to play God, and that's why you become a miserable parent because you're trying to be God. And guess what? You make a horrible God, and then you make a horrible parent when you try to play God. <laughs> and so the best thing you do is trust in God, support, love, and encourage, and let them become who they're meant to be. Man, drop the mic on it, John. That's pretty darn good right there. I love that visual. Gosh, that's so good. Um, I, I, I want to ask you about your book before I kick you out of here. I know we're right up on time, okay. but I mean, you've written what? 28-ish books. You've got 15 bestsellers. I mean, my goodness, you've got a you've got a lot of good work out there. Why did the the one truth need to be written? Like, what was it that called you to write this book? What are you deliver de delivering to the world with with this book? Yeah, I want parents to read this book with their kids, their teens. They can read it together because as you read it with them, you're going to have such a great mindset going forward. It really is about mindset, how to have a high state of mind instead of a low state of mind. It's about oneness versus separateness. This is the ultimate truth. When you understand this book, you'll be like a Jedi in this world. And instead of living life with fear and playing with fear or performing with fear, your kids might be in music or into theater, same thing. We go through life so often looking at the outside and circumstances and what people think and worried about the outcome, worried about messing up. And so we live in fear instead of focusing on love. And love is the ultimate way to have a high state of mind. And so the more we move towards oneness, we move towards wholeness and health and peace and joy. And all mental health disorders actually move from oneness to separateness. So if you study mental health conditions, they all report feelings of 
being alone, isolated, disconnected, they feel separate. So this book explains oneness and separateness and how separateness makes you weak and divide you and makes you feel powerless. Whereas oneness makes you powerful, connected, and strong. A team that is united and connected is a powerful team. A team that is divided and separate is a weak team. So this explains how it works with teams and also within the individual soul, the more separate you feel. The root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. So when you're anxious, you actually feel separate and divided. So when your kid is anxious, they feel separate. They feel divided. Mm. When you are separate, you feel anxious. You feel divided. You feel weaker. And that often gives rise to the ego, which makes you have to feel like a sense of power. But it's actually false power because it's connected to self. It's not connected to something greater. The more one you feel, that you feel love. You feel confidence. You feel purpose. You feel joy. All these feelings of feeling connected and oneness. So as you read the book, it all will make sense. And then I wrote it now because it was meant to come out now, given how divided people feel, how they're experiencing all these mental struggles and deal with mental health issues. And this is literally the solution. This is the answer. This is the key to mental toughness. It's the key to mental health. It's the key to high performance. And it's definitely the key to joy and peace. And it's the key to healing. And as you read this book, like as a parent, it's going to help you be more whole so you're more whole for your kids. And I just know it's going to have such a impact. Well, it already is actually. The cool thing is I'm getting such great feedback on it. People are already being impacted by it. It's only been out a week now. So yep. people are literally reading it and I'm getting emails and you're seeing people post on it. And it's so cool because you write something and you think it's powerful and you think it's revolutionary. And again, I don't take credit for it. The ideas came through me. This is my most important book I've ever written. It's my most... Uh, thought-provoking book I've ever written, most profound, but yet simple and practical like my other books. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing is you write it and you don't know what the response is going to be. And then as you start getting the response in, you're like, ah, that feels so good that they're actually experiencing what I hope they would experience when they read it. And that's what's happening. So I'm thankful, I'm grateful, and I hope everyone reads The One Truth. It will make a huge impact for you in your parent, as a parent, in your relationship as parents, and then also for your kids. Huge impact on them. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to get into it. I'm somebody who I like to to read and listen to the audio as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be ripping that once that once that drops. And uh yeah, you know, fear is one of those things. Talk about a well-timed book, my goodness, just where we've been in the world in the last couple of years. And that's fear is something that I've, you know, self-doubt, all these, you know, more negative emotions are things that I've had to kind of battle through. And you know, the Bible says 365 times, do not be afraid. And this book feels like a practical application of how we can put that into play in our lives, you know, and that's something that I'm always thinking about not passing on to my kids. That's like, I think about it. I'm working on it all the time. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to dive into this book and I'll be sharing. I uh, can't wait for you to read thoughts. it. And then don't even wait for the, don't, don't wait for the audio because the book has pictures in it and all these diagrams and like of circles mm -hmm. and it, and always the visual representations help you, you know, see the book in a different way and, and process yep. it, which you can't get from the audio. Yeah. The audio is still going to be strong, but there's the pictures in the diagram so forth that explain oneness and separateness and show it and show the cluttered mind versus the the mind with clarity, which mm -hmm. is a common theme throughout the book. Yeah. I can't wait for you to read it. It's going to really, really help a lot. And, you know, staying positive, optimism, belief, do not be afraid. Fear divides, love unites. And so if you're thinking about it in those two terms, what casts out fear, love casts out fear. So the minute I focus on love in any moment, and I'm no longer worried about what my kids are going to become, but I'm now loving them in the process. 
that invests in the root, that love from the inside out is what creates power as we've been talking about. So it's really a, a mind shift in many ways and a, a thought provoking book that's going to make you see the world through a different lens and then allow you to act that way with more power. That's the key. Do I want to go through life feeling powerful or being powerless? This is going to allow you to live with power in a world where so many right now feel powerless. Guys, check out this book. We're going to link it up in the show notes. We're going to get it out there, make it easy for you to one click and go buy this thing. Check it out. I know I can't wait to read it. I'm fired up. John, we're, I've blown the time budget here. I apologize. I appreciate you so much for uh, for being a good sport, for coming on. Like I said, two years in the making for me trying to get you here. And I'm so excited to have had the opportunity. So much good stuff. I mean, I can't wait to share this with like the parents of our little league team. I'm going to be going back through, taking some notes. Can't wait to read the book. Just again, so honored, so excited to have had you on here. Can't wait to share this one. Uh, we're going to link everything up in the show notes where everybody can get the book. Is there anywhere else you want to send everybody? Yeah, go to getonetruth.com. Getonetruth.com. That's where you can get the book. Free action plan when you get it. Also, my website is johngordon.com. J-O-N gordon.com. And you'll find all of my free resources, all my stuff there. I do a weekly positive tip. I've been doing it since 2002. And so you can actually sign up for that as well. And Brendan, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, this was, hey, two years in the making. It was definitely worth the wait. And most importantly, I'm just glad we were able to share advice to help all the dads out there that, that need to hear it. So let's just hope that coach who's being a little <laughs> negative will actually <laughs> listen to this because so often those coaches don't listen when they should. So coach, I hope you're listening to this right now so you can impact all those kids in a positive way on your team. Boom. Love it, John. Thank you so much, brother. Let's stay in touch. You got it. All right, fellas, that is it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you took as much from this conversation as I did. This guy, John Gordon, what a legend. Such an honor to get to have him here on the show. This is one that I'm very proud of. Like I said, I hope it serves you as well as it has served me. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. And last but not least, I want to give a special shout out to our show sponsor, Fuller. High protein, overnight notes. This will save your morning. Check them out on Amazon. Use code DADTHEMAN at checkout for an additional 10% off your purchase. I love you guys. I'll see you next time. See you.